This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Future Talk podcast. Future Talk. Future Talk with Omar Saleh and Hani Balkas on Pulse 95. Future Talk. Welcome back to Future Talk right here on Pulse 95. It is me, Hannibal Qaisi, with Omnia Saleh, bringing you everything you need to know about what's happening in the digital world. And today is Thursday, ladies and gentlemen, August 27th. I'm very excited. Even though we started off in kind of Monday, we didn't go from Sunday. We started off from Monday. But it was still a shorter felt, week. It felt like a long week. I had a long week, per se, I did. I don't know if you did, Omnia, but... Uh, we're going in a lot of technological things because we are the tech show. But we're going to be talking about the Mars mission and how UAE's Hope Probe is sending home images as it hits 100 million kilometer mark. Yes, indeed. We've talked earlier this month about how we can all track the journey of the Hope Probe. But now we have an update and we're going to be letting you know how soon it will be arriving to the Red Planet. But coming up on Future Talk as well, we're going to be talking about one of the biggest tech giants officially making his mark Mm. in the tech world Elon Musk is going to be demoing his very highly famous AI brain chip company Neuralink tomorrow so Mm. we're going to be updating you on Sunday as well but we're going to be telling you all about what he plans to to unveil during this event on Friday I'm very excited to see what Elon Musk is doing with the Neuralink now Omnia he has been getting a lot of uh, backlash from his Starlink, actually. No way. Yeah, I'm going to get into that with you in a bit, Omnia. But uh, I'm very excited because we know that when you have that Neuralink, the AI brain chip, you can kind of become a supercomputer or a supercomputer human being. Yes, indeed. Cyborgs are becoming the reality that we are living in. But also on today's show, we have a very special guest joining us, Maryam Al-Mansouri, who is an academic currently pursuing her PhD in Future Foresight. She's going to be joining us to, telling, to tell us more about what it means to be future literate. And little do we know, we are actually always implementing future foresight in our day-to-day life, but we just don't know exactly how and why. Lots and lots is going to be coming up on Future Talk. So keep Pulse 95 locked and we'll be right back. Daily digital news. Bits and bytes connect our world. Your quick roundup of everything that is happening in the tech world, in the UAE and around the world. Today, we're traveling all the way to space to check up on our very own UAE Hope Probe that has been sending home images as it has hit its 100 million kilometer mark. Can you can you imagine it's been five weeks since it has launched? Exactly, Omni. I want to talk about it as well. I can't believe it's been five weeks since, I feel like it was uh, since yesterday. The, the probe went out. We talked about it launching into outer space, but it's actually been five weeks since it has started. It's 200-day journey to the red planet. And, images and we're are, yeah, we're already seeing images from the whole probe that do show Saturn and Jupiter as it does continue its high-speed journey towards Mars. Now, the orbiter has already clocked more than 100 million kilometers since its launch in Japan just late last month. Now, it's amazing, Omnia. Five weeks, 100 million kilometers. How Mm -hmm. fast is this thing going? (laughs) 
I That's can. the question <laughs> that comes to mind. How fast is it going? <laughs> yes, indeed. And the photo that was actually captured by the Hope Probe Star's tracking camera has definitely been very clear. So you can actually quite clearly see Mars and Jupiter and Saturn. And today, the probe has actually traveled more than 100, kilo- 100 million kilometers on its journey to the Red Planet. So the expected arrival as of today is in February mm-hmm. 20 of 21, God willing. Um, but reaching the goal requires that the hope probe does not look back. And also, Omnia, I don't know if you know this, but the U.S. and China have also launched yes. uh, Mars missions during the same blast-off window in July because what information that we got is that in the month of July or in that it's kind of like a seasonal... There's a window every few years where the spacecrafts it would be easiest for them to yes. launch to outer space. 100% right now. Uh, we're excited actually to see what the whole probe has in store for us and what kind of images and information we can take from Mars. Now let us know 4215 Dorat Salat. Are you excited for one day for us living on Mars? Now this is just the beginning. We have to get information to know of our next home planet. Yes indeed and for those of you who are wondering why is it important that we study the atmosphere of Mars? Well little do we know the atmosphere of Mars will actually reveal a lot more information about the atmosphere of Earth as well. Mm-hmm. And we have plans right here in the UAE to hopefully have our first habitable settlement in on Mars by 2117. Sounds Hope like I'm alive. <laughs> sounds like a faraway dream, but it's actually a lot closer than we think. But let's go back to Earth <laughs> and now let's go into your brain. Let's go into our brains. <laughs> because we're talking about Elon Musk's AI brain chip company Neuralink and how it's doing its first live tech demo on Friday. And here's what we know, ladies and gentlemen, so far about the wild science behind it. Now, Elon Musk did uh, kind of uh, founded the neurotech company Neuralink in 2016. And in 2019, the company did showcase the technology it has been developing. And Omni and I have talked about it Mm. a lot. And Omni is a I felt like it was never going to happen. (laughs) Omni is a big fan about the Neuralink. And I'm a big fan of Elon Musk in general. And it is basically a chip which is connected to wires which fan out into the human brain. Yes, you heard me correctly. Chips and wires that go inside the human brain and that are both capable of recording brain activity and even stimulating it. Now, why is tomorrow a very big day for Elon Musk and the Neuralink? Well, we finally have a live demo of the working device. We've constantly talked about the Neuralink, but now we I wonder who's the test... Uh, who's, who's the, the candidate? Te- who's the... So they, they call them the dummy. Yes. <laughs> I wonder who the dummy is. But the dummy's about to get a, a, become a smarty. Quite literally. And the thing is, this the way Elon Musk actually described how the Neuralink would be placed into your brain, it sounded a little bit creepy. It felt more like a surgery but, than a it, little bit of a piercing. So, so, so when Elon Musk, I watched an interview on the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm. I don't know if you know, you know, I love watching him. And he was talking about how the Neuralink, it will be like a pinch. It's going to be like a pinch. It's not even going to go inside of your brain. It's just going to pierce the skull a little bit. Yes. And that insertion will be inserted. It's like a catheter basically inserted into your brain. You'll be connected, literally. And the thing is, a lot of us make it sound like we're going to become cyborgs, which in a way we will. But Musk has said that the technology could be used for people with neural conditions. So it has a humanitarian aspect to it as well. So people who who suffer from neural disorders uh, will be able to more or less have like a symbiosis with artificial intelligence by using this technology. Now, neuroscientists have definitely have had 
two different perspectives on this. Some of them are skeptical, uh, while on the other hand, others find the components of the Neuralink to be quite exciting. I just hope when they do insert it, the patient is asleep. Because, you know, Omnia, it's Why? pretty... Because, Omnia, imagine... I feel like they would need them to be awake, though, so that mm. they can make sure that yeah. not, none of their motor skills are you, you compromised. Do, you do have a good point, but, like, let's say, for example, when you go to the dentist, <laughs> yes. and the doctor, the doctor is a dentist, like... like and, like, and you're like, ah... You're it, awake, it but you, good. you're awake, but you wish you were asleep. You're, you're awake. Like, I, I wouldn't mind going to the dentist if every time I was asleep. Mm-hmm. Now, think about... Inserting something in your brain. It's not inserted in your brain, though. It's, it's the way the way Musk explained where it's going to be positioned is he said it's going to be a very tiny microchip, so very very Should small. Should be tiny. It is <laughs> all about five centimeters, I think, uh, long, and it's going to be implanted behind a person's ear. So there'll be tiny threads that connect between the nerves on your in your ear and the nerves in your brain. Now let us know four two one five Dorotha. Would you hook up your brain to this Neuralink? <laughs> And if you did or if you didn't, if you won't, uh, let us know what kind of uh, questions do you have? What are the things that you think might be a possible risk when you connect your brain to a computer? Yes, indeed. Let us know your thoughts and you better believe we're going to be giving you a quick little bit of a review on Sunday uh, about how that demo went. If the testing rat survived or not. It's a rat? I don't know. I, th- I hope it's a human <laughs> he being. He didn't reveal. I it's think it's going to be a human being. But I, I'm, I'm going through human being monkey. Oh. A human being or a monkey. I, I've heard that it might be a monkey as well. So, hopes, well, hoping it's going to be a human being. Imagine they just start controlling it like a joystick. <laughs> that is my worry, honestly. Having the Neuralink become a reality also poses a lot of questions about how much control will this have on our brains. Coming up on Future Talk, we have a very interesting guest, Maryam Al-Mansouri, who is currently pursuing her PhD in Future Foresight. She's going to be telling us all about how important it is for us to use future thinking to solve the problems of today. Keep Pulse 95 locked. We'll be right back. You're, You're listening, listening to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Future Talk with Omni Al Saleh and Hany Balkis on Pulse 95. Do we use the future in our day-to-day life? Let's think about it for a second. And what does it mean to even use the future? Well, let me put it into a little bit of an easier perspective. If we plan to meet up our, with our friends for coffee this weekend, or if we're going to work and it's rainy and we consider taking an umbrella, this is us actually using the future because the image that we have invented about what might happen actually is shaping our choices in the present. The only problem is that very few people actually take into consideration to think about what is the future and how can we make the best use out of it. And this is exactly why we are joined today by Maryam Al-Mansouri, who is an academic currently pursuing her PhD in Future Foresight at the University of Clyde in Glasgow. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Omiya. Thank you, Omiya, for the introduction. Welcome to the show. It's an honor having you. Now, let's kickstart that conversation and ask, what is future literacy and why should it be a part of every student's curriculum? So, honey, to start with, the future literacy is basically a concept that was generated by UNESCO as part of their uh, future studies. And uh, in a very basic terminology, future literacy is a concept or skills that allows people uh, to think of how the futures can play a role in their their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. 
That's amazing. Now, ideally, at what age should we start teaching digital or even future literacy? Okay, so let's distinguish first between the future literacy mm. and uh, digital, digital literacy. literacy. Mm-hmm. So basically, future uh, digital literacy is that uh, to ensure that whoever is using the technology can use it in a very uh, effective and safely way. Mm. So mm-hmm. if we have our kids using the, uh, the technology, we want to make sure that they know what to look at, especially now that all the schools are requesting from students to use their, uh, to do their homeworks, assignments, and do the research online. So as parents or as um, students, students, yeah, we need to make sure that they know how to use it and what data they should look like. Absolutely. Uh, Now, now that you mentioned uh, future literacy, a lot of us may be thinking, what does that entail? So we know about how important it is for us to solve the issues of today by thinking in advance and using future foresight but what does that entail how can we look at it in a more practical way what skills do we need to have for us to be more future literate okay so um only about just like what the new concept many people today they are afraid from using the terminology use the future Mm. and uh because they don't think of the uh, the future or use the future as a tool that you can uh, use it, play with it, uh, explore it, and see what is the maximum that you can come up with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, to be able to use the future, you need to um, uh, like you need to ima- to imagine it mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. to imagine and genera- uh, to be able to imagine the future. This itself is very important skills that we need as individual to build in because imagining the future help helps us like to um, get ready for it. Get ready. Yeah. Uh, get ready for it. Uh, generate what are our uh, like our hope our fears uh, our fears and have a, a uh, like make sense mm. of what uh, what kind of future that we are looking for mm-hmm. like for example i'm one of the people who thinks that the only way that you can create your own future is to imagine it true mm. and it's interesting that you mentioned creating our future is by imagining it because uh, earlier you mentioned that predicting the future is not <laughs> the same as future foresight so can you tell us about the difference between both yes because uh, uh, the way I think about that, when you when you predict something, is that you use the bus data or the bus uh, picture that you have mm-hmm. in your mind, and based on it, you build your own future. Mm-hmm. But in reality, uh, future foresight is that there is more than one future for every single us, every single one of us. Mm-hmm. There is many futures, and based on what you are thinking about your future and what is the the thinking that you have behind it, that you can shift your thinking from unconscious. To conscious, uh, more conscious mind, and that come with, uh, like, uh, with your ability to anticipate what's the future can come up, and that will shift your decisions, and will uh, will take out your fears, and being vulnerable about the mm-hmm. futures, and will div- will help you to create the future that you are looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like that you said that because obviously, when you prepare for the future and you get mentally prepared, when the future does come, you already had in mind a kind of expectation of what to expect. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. Uh, you mentioned having more than one future. Yes. So what's that all about? Because I don't think many of us tend to acknowledge the fact that it's not, whenever we talk about the future, we talk about this collective far-fetched dream. Yes. Yes. Um, but how do we have more than one future at once? So let me give you a uh, very basic example. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say that today all of us are working in the education system. Mm-hmm. And now with the, with the COVID and the current circumstances, um, a lot of, uh, I'll say, organizations mm-hmm. as well as universities has come up with uh, online education platforms. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, very, very well-known reputed uh, 
uh, university like um, Blackboard, y- Yale, uh, uh-huh. Harvard, mm-hmm. yeah. they are introducing their degrees through online, right? Yes. Okay. Today, for example, in the United Arab Emirates, distant learning is not accepted. Yeah. Mm. Right? Mm. So for me as individual or as students, I have to evaluate my options. Mm. Right? True. Do I want to stay home and do my online degree and uh, accept the fact that it will not be uh, endorsed by higher education? Mm. Or shall I push for it and uh, push, th- push the policy makers? Mm. Uh, to endorse it because of what is, uh, what is uh, the current circumstances, mm. or maybe I'm a high school a high school student who will just graduate, and I don't I don't I want to work get the practical experience as well as studying. Mm. So I do have a couple of options here. Mm. So you either stay home, uh, stay home, uh, like go up, go to work, get mm. the, uh, the experience, and study at the same time because mm. everything is available online mm. through different platforms, and you can choose whatever university you want to go. Mm-hmm. Or I can decide, no, I want to go and uh, do something else, start my own businesses and do my studies later on. So you do have multiple options, multiple uh, futures you can choose Mm. from. So in this case, you're actually encouraging everyone to think of the bigger picture, actually Mm. look at all their options. Because sometimes our minds will trick us into thinking there's there's only only one one solution. It's either this way or the Mm. highway. And if it doesn't work out, then I'm lost. (laughs) Example, graduate high school, get into (laughs) university, graduate from university, find a job, get married, and everything is good. But you should always have opportunities, and that's what we're talking about here. Look for different opportunities, make different scenarios in your head, and different futures, just like you mentioned, Mariam. Yes, indeed. Coming up on Future Talk, we're going to be talking to Mariam a little bit about the efforts that the UNESCO is doing to encourage people to adopt this skill, as well as what are the different ways that we can use to think more easily about the future. If you have any questions for Mariam Al-Mansouri, make sure you send them in at 4215-Duartisalat or sign into our DMs at Pulse95 Radio. Keep Pulse95 locked. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pulse95. Pulse95. Future Talk. Future Talk with Omar Saleh and Hani Balkas on Pulse95. We use the future every single day. We predict fear, we predict hope, and we predict dreams. Futures literacy is definitely the term that we are going by today because it was the one introduced and developed within the UNESCO. And it is our ability to basically anticipate and have an insight on how we can approach today's challenges not by thinking in the past, but by thinking of the future. Mm. Joining us today is Maryam Al-Mansouri, who is an academic currently pursuing her PhD in Future Foresight at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow. She is currently working closely with the UNESCO to advocate for the field of future thinking and future literacy to help teachers futurize their classes as well as students to adopt this brand new skill. Welcome to the show, Maryam. Uh, Mariam, can you tell us a little bit about the efforts uh, that you have been doing and the UNESCO has been doing to encourage people to adopt future literacy and how is it possible for individuals to do that? Sure, sure. So future literacy has been, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, a concept was generated by UNESCO mm. and uh, basically by the Bureau of the Future Literacy and the Future Studies, uh, Mr. Ril Miller, mm-hmm. and he's the one behind this this concept. So it has been for more than a decade now within the UNESCO, 
And since the last seven, seven years, basically in 2012, mm-hmm. they start a new initiative called the Future Literacy Laboratory, mm-hmm. in which they, uh, it's ac- actually, it's a learning methodology developed particularly for the purpose of UNESCO mm-hmm. uh, management. And uh, the, b- basic, uh, the basic of it, or the concept of it, is that uh, <coughs> they ensure that learning by actions is deployed everywhere where uh, everyone, uh, including governments, uh, schools, everywhere, can know the basic of the future, literac- uh, future litera- literacy or future f- uh, future studies mm. and be able to use it on different levels, either mm-hmm. on personal level, government level, uh, like uh, policymaking level. Mm-hmm. So uh, the concept has been already deployed in more than 60 countries, mm. uh, including uh, Europe, France, Africa, uh, Asia, and uh, I think the only country in Arab is Tunisia. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's 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 weird and funny in a way because we always said and we always know there's an old saying that says, "Look at history, look at to learn. You have to learn from history." But now we're saying to understand the future, we have to look at the future. So I just wanted to ask um, how do the different ways that we use to think about the future change what we see and what we do? Okay. So okay. I'm mm. not going to say don't touch the history mm. or don't don't look back and see because it's always a learning curve. Yeah. You you ha- you need you have to look at the past and look to your learning curve that you learned during the past uh, ages and build on it. Mm. But with, when it comes to futures, um, learn learn about the past. What what are what were the good things that you learned and from there build on. Mm. Don't predict. Mm. Uh, don't uh, what they call it. Um, yeah, don't predict and uh, don't like. It's it's uh, it's you need to build the anticipation. Mm-hmm. Understand what are the latest trends. Mm-hmm. What then it's what, what's there for you uh, for the government for you as individuals. Understand those trends. Uh, see what is the trigger or what is the path that you want to go through, mm. and build your future based on it. There is a lot of. Uh, future foresight tools I can say that you can use mm-hmm. uh, there's plenty of them and uh, there is ba- for example there is backcasting one in which that uh, you put an, a vision that you want to reach mm-hmm. and from their vision you backcast it so you you, you, st- you trace the exactly, way trace it until you get there mm-hmm. there's always uh, there's a very well known uh, tool called Sirani planning mm-hmm. in which you understand the latest trends and what are the trends that can impact you Mm. And from there, you build different scenarios, and based on the scenarios and the uh, and the uncertainties and the forces that around you, mm. you develop the scenarios. I want to pick your brain on that one because uh, let's take for example COVID nineteen. Sure, it's a pandemic we're all living in. Many people tend to say tend to think it's something we could have anticipated, and this is why a lot of conspiracy theories were coming up. One of them being Bill Gates. He was saying that. It is something that he predicted years ago, but the world never trusted him enough. So in your opinion, could we have handled COVID-19 a little bit better had we anticipated for such a scenario? Okay. Honestly speaking, Mm. until today, all the studies says no one anticipated that COVID-19 will come. Mm. But there are some studies, two or three, Mm. that they said that maybe there will be a disease that will impact uh, the nations, mm-hmm. but they do not. Um, they don't know how serious it is going to be. Mm. So the answer to your question is yes. Mm. If, th- if that has been anticipated, that has been that will be uh, there will be like totally a different way to treat it. Yeah, mm. and we've seen people catching up on the trends. So we've talked about uh, on the show tech giants actually changing the way they manufacture. So let's say Elon Musk, he stopped manufacturing Tesla products and he started creating ventilator adapters to help 
basically accustomed to the trend of mm-hmm. dealing with this worldwide pandemic. Mm-hmm. And for example, talking about tech giants, we've seen Facebook and Twitter, for example, in the beginning of the year, January, they never expected that uh, they would make working from home a thing until next year. So mm-hmm. now Facebook and Twitter are saying, hey, you can work from home until late 2021. You if, if you're comfortable with it, you can do it, but you can come to the office. And that goes back to you saying different futures and different opportunities. Uh, so building on your concept or the concept that you proposed of basically being able to adapt to the trends, in your opinion, could, let's say, working from home become a trend that we adopt or we find different businesses adopting more easily than before? So we've we've seen propositions before of different companies giving that option, but none of them were actually, um, we can say, built, taken seriously or have had a serious action a taken against yes. us. Uh, I see it's coming. Mm. I can see this uh, happening in education, mm. and especially when it comes to higher education. One second in education. <laughs> yes. So you in th- higher education is exactly. So you believe that learning online might just become a full-on reality for everyone. It will accelerate. Oh yeah. God! <laughs> and I think it will be embedded within every single schools. Maybe from mm. the uh, and and actually this gonna ha- come up with a challenge mm. because even the teacher they need to change or shift their mindset mm. from being. Um, educator yeah. uh, to be more facili- facilitators mm. yes and this is to what assist the students to be more uh, to, to like um, to, to be give more them independence thinking mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. to raise this mm-hmm. and within the students so to be more able to uh, think critically about uh, what they want to do in, the, in their life and what are they want to study and mm-hmm. how they gonna improve themselves so it's not gonna only like um, hit the students themselves their families Mm. it's even the 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 teachers teachers. yes exactly let me pick your brain on this one whenever you're talking about online learning becoming a reality do you believe that the current curriculum that students are studying through the one size fits all approach will it actually survive the online learning platforms because as of right now what many schools have been doing is take what was done in classrooms and implemented online. Exactly, yeah. The whole like teacher mm. gives the lesson and the students learn yes. and that hasn't necessarily been the most successful. Mm. So what do you believe has to change for online learning to become a part of every schooling system and for students and parents to accept mm. it as well? I think it's neat, uh, it might need a full uh, transformation. Mm. It's not only within the students, within the schools, within the classrooms. It's a full ecosystem that start uh, from the policy maker, mm. Mm. makers mm-hmm. who need to change the curriculum to uh, to uh, to be able to adapt to the digital transformati- transformation that we are living in mm-hmm. because it's going to be accelerated mm-hmm. more and more. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 going back and talking about online classes and online courses, now in the U.S., they've been doing online universities since around, I believe, 2007, 2008. Mm. We've seen a lot of people graduate from, for example, they live in Florida or New York and graduate from the University of California. How do they do that? online courses do you think this should be implemented in the region uh i believe so for one reason mm. we need to adapt of what's going on yeah we need mm. to see what are, are the latest trends when it comes to education mm. uh coming and saying that uh the degree any degree that has been taken from online or uh distant learning yeah. is not accepted mm. it's not accepted anymore yeah so i think it's uh, the governments and the policy uh, makers they will be challenged mm. 
to go with the flow. Mm. Yes. So uh, we need to think, we need to change the way we think mm. from the past and adapt to yes. new ways mm. of thinking, new okay. trends. Like, like why, why not live right here in the UAE, live in Sharjah and take online courses from, for example, Yale or Harvard. Exactly. If, you're, if you qualify and you're True. smart enough, why not? Absolutely. So let us yeah. know what you think of it. Text in at 4215 or slide into our DMs at Pulse95 Radio. The conversation is still ongoing with Maryam Al Mansouri. So keep Pulse95 locked and we'll be right back. This is Pulse95. Future Talk. Future Talk. With Omiyal Saleh and Hany Balkis on Pulse95. The future is a lot more promising than history and the past ever were. We're not trying to say that we shouldn't look into the past to learn from the lessons that our ancestors have left us. Mm-hmm. But we're also saying that we need to make sure that we adapt to the trends that have been coming up. And joining us today is Maryam Al-Mansouri, an academic who is currently pursuing her PhD in Future Foresight. She's also currently working with the UNESCO to advocate for the field of futures literacy to help teachers futurize their classes but students as well to learn about how important it is to adopt this skill now Maria, because of covid19 because of the pandemic a lot of things came into rush mm-hmm. and during the covid19 lockdown and as schools were rushed into implementing distant learning right here in the uae we have witnessed that teachers who had digital literacy were more tech savvy and were able to help students and parents transition much faster into this foreign style of education while a lot of people did struggle, they didn't know how to use the computer, they didn't know how to get into that conference room. But how can we make future literacy tangible to teachers and students? I totally agree with you, Hani, that the COVID-19 pandemic has started the largest and the fastest uh, remote learning experience uh, in human history. And it has pushed both students and teachers, as mm-hmm. well as families, uh, to go into the digital era. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the interests, their skills, or even their uh, level of education and their uh, level of the comfort of using the technology. Mm-hmm. And I think one way, uh, one way to do that is by uh, yeah. <coughs> by bringing everyone in uh, what what uh, UNESCO call is the future literacy lab. Mm-hmm. Bring all the concerned people or the stakeholders together. Let them discuss what mm-hmm. are the uh, what are the like. Um, what are the what, what are the options? What are the, what are the options? Yeah. What are the obstacles that they are facing here? Like maybe something I as as, as I see as a policymaker mm-hmm. is that the credibility of the classrooms or the credibility mm-hmm. of the students studying from home. Uh, one thing that teachers might face is that the teacher might see that I have kids who need to study at home and I need to look after them. Mm. True. Exactly. And uh, at the same time, she has to teach at the same time from home. Mm. How can she balance? How how she can balance and how she can manage. And from the other hand is the the families, the parents. uh, Many parents are not up to uh, up to the the curriculum of the uh, schools. So they don't know how to teach their students. Mm. And uh, so you need to bring them all together. Mm. They, they need to talk. They need to discuss issues, discuss options. Mm. What will be the best uh, way to tackle this? Mm. Mm-hmm. And from there, uh, from those kind of future literacy labs, uh, from their participation and their participation as participants and mm-hmm. the people who are imp- uh, impacted by this, they will come up with solutions mm. with different futures 
of mm. how they can tackle this. And then uh, it's rest within the policymakers and the governments to assist mm. them in this. Absolutely. And, and we've seen a lot of positivity come out of distance learning and online classes. I mean, a lot of people were saying that they start to understand their children more. The teachers, because they had so they were some teachers do go under stress when they're performing or they're teaching in front of a class of 40 to 30 people. But now they just have that little webcam. And a lot of teachers did utilize uh, the online classes and made the learning experience even better for students, even if they were in that physical classroom. Absolutely. And whenever we're talking about online learning, we want to talk a bit about what skills can the parents and the students themselves uh, basically train themselves to adopt so that they can make this process easier for themselves and for their teachers. Right here in Sharjah, uh, for the first two weeks of the new academic year, they're planning to implement full e-learning, full distance learning. And uh, I want to know from you, what are, let's say, two or three tips that you could give to students and parents tuning into us right now on how can they make the process of learning online become more beneficial to themselves and as well easing the process for the teachers? Okay. Um, maybe one of the first thing I can suggest is that uh, let the student learn or taught how to learn. Mm. Uh, That's a big one. Mm. Uh, not, don't make sure that they just know the content mm. and they go for exam and that's it. Mm. It's like how to learn, how develop their skills uh, and how can they transform whatever they learn uh, in different areas in life at work. Tomorrow you don't know what will be the future of the work, mm. what kind of skills that need, they need to be equipped mm. with. But when having different, different set of skills and they know what, what that what uh, like um, what attract them yeah. they will w- they will exceed mm. they will exceed and there are some basic skills that every single uh, student need to have uh, such as um, uh, communication cooperation mm. problem solving those are a must mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for all students with no exceptions and i believe the american university of sharjah actually is doing online courses online classes but the exams the physical exams you have to be there physically i believe so or was it the university of sharjah I'm not sh- uh, with the American University of Sharjah. The exams were still online as well. Online, yeah, I, I believe I heard. I, I think it was, or even it was higher colleges. I think it I might think. have been, but uh, those are just a few tips that Maryam Al Mansouri was able to tell us about on how we can make this new academic year easier for us mm. and for the students, teachers, and parents. Thank you so much, Maryam, for joining us today. It has been such a great honor to get to have you on the show. It was great, and you shined some light that a lot of people didn't know about. And future literacy, I'll be honest with you, it's the first time I actually dove deep into what's it about, and I'm glad you came on the show, Maryam. Thank you for having me. Thank Hopefully you. you'll be able to kickstart your project with the UNESCO right here in the UAE. And Hopefully we'll be and can use the future uh, talk as a platform to kick off this. Absolutely. Hopefully. Thank you, everyone. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for lending us your ears for this hour. It is the weekend, and we wish you a beautiful, beautiful afternoon and a great weekend. But we will be leaving you with the only show to be at 4 p.m. Yes. Uh, afternoon Karak will be joining you. The team will be joining you to give you all the latest on what is happening in the entertainment industry. Yes, and your weekend recommendations. So keep your Pulse95 locked, and we'll see you on Sunday. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 2 p.m.